Hello, family. Once again, thank you so much for joining us. And listen, I just want to say that my mind has been blown. We have people watching from China. We have people watching from the Netherlands. We have people watching from Brazil. We have people watching from Paris, from all over the world. And I'm so thankful that you are joining me. Once again, drop a comment in the room. Let me know where you're from. This is your first time. If this is now your seventh time, because we are in part seven of this Try Me series, and I'm excited. Uh, do me a favor, take a screenshot, tag us on IG, Facebook. We want to know that this word is blessing you, and you guys are helping us be the width that we can't reach on our own to touch others. Well, um, if you would, could you turn your Bibles to Luke? Luke chapter 19. I wish I remember this one lady's name. Like, she had two Bibles. She had her iPad. She had the TV hooked up. And she had a wash part. I was like, you go ahead on, girl. If I see you this time, I'm going to tag you next time. <laughs> Luke chapter 19. Um, we're going to read a few passages of Scripture. Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 9. Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 9. It starts off by saying, Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. Somebody say he had bread. <laughs> and he sought to see who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd, for he was of short stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste. And come down, for today I must stay at your house. So he made haste, and he came down and received him with joyful. He was joyful. But when they saw it, they all complained, saying, He has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor. And if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. And Jesus just kind of totally ignored him, just said, listen, today salvation has come to this house because he also is a son of Abraham. For the son of man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. Our clause of concern and where I want us to pay attention to on tonight takes residence in verse 7. But when they saw, they all complained, saying, He has gone to be a guest with the man who is a sinner. Father God, I thank you that you bless this moment, bless your word, bless this hour, touch the hearts of your people, and encourage us, oh God, to be kingdom ambassadors so we can make you look good. It is in your precious name we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, listen, tonight's message, I'm not trying to gas it up. I'm not trying to hype you up. I firmly believe tonight's message is going to set somebody free. The reason I say I believe it's going to set somebody free because this message actually set me free. I have taken this prescription, and I want you to know this medicine works. And until tonight, I want to give it to you. But first, I want to give you a little history lesson. Next month, there is a holiday called Juneteenth. 
And a little history about this particular holiday. Back in September the 22nd of 1862, Abraham Lincoln set forth an emancipation proclamation. That simply means he has the slaves that they are going to now be free. But this didn't go into effect until January 1st of 1863. But the slaves down south didn't get the memo until June 19th of 1865. Thus, we have Juneteenth. So what we have here is free people living as though they're slave people. Some of y'all missed what I just said. They didn't get the memo. It was established in September the 22nd of 1862, which went into effect on January 1st of 1863. But they didn't get the word until June 19th of 1865. So we have people living as slaves when they are called to be free. And I don't know who this is for, but I want you to know that over 2,000 years ago, Jesus set forth an emancipation proclamation. So we don't have to be slaves to suicide. We don't have to be slaves to stress. We don't have to be slaves to addiction. You can be free. And who the Son has set free is free indeed. But the question many of us may be asking is, if I'm entitled to this freedom, why am I not free? Can we talk on tonight? I was stuck. I was stuck between upload and shutdown. I was, I was stuck. I, I was stuck between taking that risk and staying in my comfort zone. I was, I was stuck. I, I was stuck between taking that risk or stepping out on the boat of the waters of the unknown. I was stuck. I was stuck between the what if and even if. What if no one listens? What if no one shares it? What if no one subscribes? What if no one pays attention? What if no one comments? What if no one views it? What if, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if the torments language of fear? Fear's native language is what if. <laughs> and some of us have been in the fear, have been in the Alcatraz of fear for so long that we immediately criticize others who are wearing prison uniforms. <sighs> We immediately criticize those who aren't wearing prison uniforms because they're not wearing the outfit. They don't look like us. They were bold enough to jump. They were bold enough to try. They were bold enough to believe. They were bold enough to take their not enough and present it to he who is more than enough. They were bold enough to post. They were bold enough to write that book. They were bold enough to sing that song. They were bold enough to publish that vlog. They were bold enough to climb the sycamore tree. And we despise ourselves because we didn't do it. And many times that comes out in the form of criticism. We're going to help somebody on tonight. I was stuck at the crossroad. What if, and even if, and now I understand, even if that's where the faith is, even if that's where the joy is, even if that's where the miraculous is, even if that's where the amazing is, even if that's where the mind-blowing is, because when you have faith, faith speaks a language of even if. So you have this posture, even if I try and I fail. It is better for me to have attempted to swim in the waters of the unknown than for me to get comfortable in the graveyard of my excuses. Listen, what if I told you that you are built from your mistakes? What if I told you, let's take it a step further, that God uses your mistakes as transportation? Free somebody on the night. What if I told you that God uses your mistakes as his transportational system. 
I'm going to prove it. Some of us, you wouldn't be watching this message right now if you didn't make the mistake and was hanging out with that wrong crowd and had a near-death experience, and you came to yourself. You were like, you know what? I need to stop smoking. I need to stop hanging with these people. I need to stop clubbing with them because every time I hang with them, bullets start flying. People start acting crazy. It's too much nook, iffy buck. It's just too wild. I need to stop sleeping with him. I need to stop sleeping with her. And it was due to that close encounter. It was due to that mistake that led you to this place. Yeah, some of us, it was the mistake of choosing that person. You thought that they would be with you forever, ever, ever, ever. You thought that they would really have your back. You failed for somebody who had no intentions of catching you. And you really thought that they would be God's choice for you. But now that you recognize that that wasn't God's will for me, you started to get some standards. And you're like, you know what? I don't need to have any more toxic relationships because this stuff is messing up my heart. I need to binge redefine TV. I need to listen to a, another book or an audible book. I need to probably go get relationship goals by Michael Todd. I need to get relational intelligence by Darius Daniels. I need some content to help me to make wise decisions because I don't want to keep making mistake after mistake. But God used that mistake to get you to this place. I'm going to give you some Bible. God promised Abraham a son. But like most of us, Abraham felt God was taking too long. So what do you do when you feel God is taking too long? You make your own Ishmael. (laughs) Ishmael was not the promise. Isaac was. That's a word in itself because your Ishmael mistake doesn't disqualify you from your Isaac promise. I don't know who that's for. Your Ishmael mistake didn't disqualify you from your Isaac promise. Fast forward later down the line, um, there's this guy named Joseph, right? And um, Joseph is his father's favorite. He gives him a coat of many colors. His brothers really didn't like him already, but they really began to hate him when they saw him wearing that coat because some people know you favored, but they just can't stand to see you walking in favor. They can't stand to see you posing in favor. They can't stand to see you stunting in favor. And so what they did was they ripped off his coat and they threw him in the pit. The problem was the favor wasn't on his coat. The favor was on his life. So they said, okay, we can't kill him. Um, we're, uh, what can we do? Uh, oh, here's a caravan. Let's sell him into slavery. That caravan was the Ishmaelites. Uh-oh. What are the Ishmaelites? The Ishmaelites come from Ishmael. Ishmael, that's Abraham's mistake. So the Ishmaelites became transportation to get Joseph to be the second most powerful man in Egypt so that when a famine hit, later the same people who threw him in a pit came to him in another season and began to say, can you help us? This is why you can't be jealous because you could be throwing your own favor in the pit. God used that mistake as transportation. And I'm simply attempting to articulate to you that the same water that hardens the egg is the same water that softens the potato. And sometimes God has to allow us to be through some hot situations, some boiling situations, situations, some uncomfortable scenarios, because that's going to soften your heart to the gospel. I was stuck at this crossroad. What if, even if, All I knew in this moment was I love God, I love people, and I love my wife. I just feel led to do this. I feel led that we should post this webisode. 
It was our very first webisode over seven years ago. My wife and I were about to post this webisode. I still remember it like it was yesterday. The title was Three Types of Relationships. And here I am sitting at the computer trying to decide, do I want to upload or do I just want to shut the computer down? And now I can stand before you on tonight and I can tell you why I was so cautious and why I was so nervous and why I was so fearful of, of selecting posts. And it was because of my inner critic. Am I the only one that has that? Anybody else you have that don't leave me out here all by myself? Is anybody else you have an inner critic? Could you just like get like a hand raise emoji? Like you have this inner critic. I'm talking about like that inner voice that keeps comparing your behind the scenes to everybody else's highlight reel. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that inner critic that has you be a perfectionist, that inner critic that keeps minimizing your milestones, but it keeps billboarding all your screw-ups. That, 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 that guy right there, or that woman, that inner critic on the inside of you that was strengthened by an outsider who made, it, who made you feel as though you're hard to love, and truth be told, it's that they didn't really know what love is. That's, that's that inner critic I'm talking about. That, that inner critic that really can't celebrate when other people win. You want to, but every time they win and every time she gets married before you and every time you're another girl's bridesmaid and every time somebody gets a promotion and every time somebody gets the raise and every time they get the house and every time they get approved and every time something good happens to them, you genuinely want to celebrate. But there's this, there's this inner voice that causes you to compare yourself with them and you kind of feel jealous of them, but you don't want to be jealous of them and you're trying to celebrate them, but your inner critic won't even let you celebrate you so if your inner critic won't let you celebrate you you won't be able to genuinely celebrate others because you cannot pour from a place that's in a drought it's gonna help you on the night you cannot pour from a place that's in a drought I'm feeling led for part seven of this try me series I would like to speak around this thought from this subject for a few moments deactivating the inner critic Deactivating the inner critic. Because we talked about try trust. We talked about try patience. We talked about try kingdom language. We talked about try resting. We talked about try surrender. But oh, let's talk about try believing. Try to believe because listen, the reason a lot of us don't believe, the reason a lot of us won't try again, we won't try love again, we won't try to fight for our marriage again. We won't try to post again. We won't try to apply again. We won't sing that song. We won't write that book. We won't start that ministry. It's not because your skill set is so low. It's because the volume of your inner critic is so loud. Yeah, th this is why we can't have swift obedience. This is why we cannot have swift obedience because our inner critic has been our counselor. Woo. Our inner critic has been our therapist, and we can't move until we book a session. Did you hear what I just said? We can't move until we book a session. So it's not about what God told you. It's not about what God's leading you to do. It's not about God telling you, call her, and you know you should. It's not about God telling you to do a live tonight. It's not about all the stuff that's on the inside of you that you know God has been dealing with you about. The reason you can't do it is because I have to first talk to my therapist. My therapist goes by the name Inner Critic. Have you allowed your inner critic to be your counselor? 
See, because the Holy Spirit is your wonderful counselor. But have you allowed them to trade places to where your Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit doesn't give you counsel, your inner critic does. Your inner critic, for most of us, it has been a mental bully. Beating your mindset up to where you never step out on faith. That inner critic has become your mindset best-selling author. And it keeps writing horror stories. And you keep having all these horror stories that you're reading. And now it has manifested into your dreams. And now you're having nightmares, which is opening the portal for satanic spirits. And sometimes you sleep at night and it feels as though something's on your chest and you can't move and you feel paralyzed. You want to move, but you can't talk. It's because your fear, that spirit of fear, is opening up an atmosphere where spirits can infect your thoughts. That, that that inner critic that doesn't allow you to obey, that inner critic that has subscribed to the channel of their criticism. <laughs> Did you hear what I just said? That inner critic that has caused you to subscribe to the channel of their criticism. And every time they go live, bing, you get the notification. And you never can step out and be everything God has called you to be because you are subscribed to their criticism. And so, yes, you climbed that sycamore tree and you were excited to see Jesus and Jesus calls you by name and he's about to go to your house. But due to the comments of the people who are jealous over the fact that you have what they don't have. See, some of us don't even view it like this. Zacchaeus is in this tree. Jesus rose up and he says, Zacchaeus, make haste. Come down. I'm staying at your house today. And the Bible says he came down joyful. He was happy. He probably slid down, slid down, ready to see Jesus. Yeah. What's up, Jesus? I've been wanting to see you. But when he heard the comments of everybody else who didn't have what he had, maybe they were jealous over the fact that they had been following him for miles and Zacchaeus didn't even have to try. Zacchaeus was just sitting in the tree trying to see Jesus and he got a position that everybody else behind Jesus wanted. Jesus wasn't going to their house. Jesus said, Zacchaeus, I'm going to your house. Don't ever let the comments of the sideline make you miss the fact that you're in the game. Don't ever let the comments of the sideline make you miss the fact that you're called, that you're anointed, that you're built for this that you do have significance that you do have a gift you are so caught up with the comments of the sideline that you don't even see Jesus wants to stay with you tonight he was happy with Jesus presence until he heard the comments of those who didn't have the same presence see this 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 reminds me of Ruth right Ruth was in this field gleaning and she was just minding her business somebody said mind her business she was just minding her business being resourceful and in Boaz Comes up in the room, sounded like he from New Orleans. He was like, who that? <laughs> Yo, man, who that shorty over there? Who that? Now, their response, the servant's response is so puzzling to me, but we have to break this down. I want you to see this. Is this good? Look, Ruth chapter 2, verse 6, it says, So the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered and said, It is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. And she said, please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came 
and has continued from morning until now, though she rested a little in the house. I was reading this text. I'm like, bro, Boaz asked you what was her name, and you didn't even tell her. How do you know where, like, how do you know her bloodline? How do you know where she came from? You know her mom in them. You know how long she's been working. You know what she's been doing, but you don't know her name? When Boaz said, who is that? You could have just said Ruth. <laughs> but you have to understand the context of the day. When he was saying, yo, that's the young Moabitess, he was really like, Boaz, that's a Moabitess. And she comes from the country of Moab. See, you got to see this because if you don't see this, you won't understand this. Look, Genesis 19, verse 30. Watch this. Watch this. Genesis 19, verse 30. It says, then Lot went up from Zorah and dwelt in the mountains. And his two daughters were with him, for he was afraid to dwell in Zorah. And he and his two daughters dwelt in the cave. Now the firstborn said to the younger, our father is old, and there is no man on earth to come into us, as is the custom of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him, that we may preserve lineage of our father. So they made their father drink wine that night, and the firstborn went in and lay with her father, and he did not know when she lay down or when she rose up. Okay, time out, wait a minute. If you're getting so drunk, see, this is why you should just put the drink down, put the vodka down, the chronic, put it down, the gin and juice, just leave it alone. If you, have y'all ever been so drunk that you don't remember what you did? This is in the Bible. I promise you the Bible's good. You should read the Bible. This dude is so drunk that he doesn't even know he's having sex with his daughter. See, you, this, I did a whole series about this in the beginning of the year, talking about appetites. See, they just got out of Sodom and Gomorrah, but Sodom and Gomorrah didn't get out of them. Because if you're going to get faded like that, if you're going to get wasted like that, and you're going to have sex with your daddy, that's Sodom and Gomorrah type behavior. Let's look at this. Verse 34, it happened on the next day that the firstborn said to the younger, indeed, I lay with my father last night. Let us make him drink wine tonight also. And you go in and lay with him, that we may preserve the lineage of our father. Then they made their father drink. Either he was depressed or just stupid, one of them. They made their father drink wine that night also. And the younger rose and laid with him. And he did not know when she laid down or when she arose. Thus, both the daughters of Lot were with child by their father. The firstborn, the firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab. Uh-oh. He is the father of the Moabites to this day. Hmm. So now it makes sense. When he was like, yo, New Orleans, who that? And he was like, uh, she's a Moabitess. He was really saying, because uh, Moabites mean incest of my father. He was really saying, Boaz, why are you worried about her? Like, do you know her background? <laughs> like, she's, she's a Moabitess, and she comes from the country of Moab. Yeah, she's been doing all this, but, but Boaz, you, you on a whole nother level. You, you don't need to be worried about that young Moabite woman. Not Ruth. You don't need to worry about that. 
Moabite. And this is why I'm so thankful that Boaz is considered a kinsman redeemer. He shows us the nature of Jesus. It doesn't matter where you came from. It doesn't matter what you did. It doesn't matter your bloodline. It doesn't matter your mistakes. It doesn't matter your history. It doesn't matter your failures. It doesn't matter your addictions. It doesn't matter you used to be a stripper. It doesn't matter your bad choices. It doesn't matter your dysfunction. It doesn't matter your chains. Jesus still wants you. He still wants you. And many times, now I get it when the text says, Blessed is the man that seated not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Scornful people are always seated. <laughs> They're always seated. The most to say, the least to do. And so as I begin to really, really think about this, I'm like, man, you know what? God can use anybody. God can use you if you have issues. God could use you if you had made bad decisions. God could use you if you came up with a dysfunctional childhood. God could use you if you're imperfect. The only thing that really limits how much God can use you is when you don't believe. Did you hear what I just said? It doesn't matter about your past. It doesn't matter about your mistakes. It doesn't matter about your flaws. What limits the mighty hand of God to really invade our lives is when we don't believe. Give you Bible all day. Mark chapter 5, verse 36. As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not be afraid, only, what's that word? Believe. He's saying, listen, don't worry about what they said. Don't worry about the negative doctor's report. Don't worry about what CNN is saying. Don't worry about what Fox is saying. Don't worry about what ABC is saying. Do you believe? Because if you can believe, I can show out. Give you more Bible. Matthew chapter 9, verse 27. As Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he had gone indoors, the blind men came in and asked him, Do you believe that I am able to do this. Yes, Lord, they replied. Then, everybody say then. He was waiting for the belief before the miracle. And a lot of us think that we're waiting on God, and God's like, no, I'm just waiting on for you to believe. Stop allowing your inner critic to cause you to doubt. I'm waiting for you to believe. Then he touched their eyes and said, according to your faith, let it be done to you. And their sight was restored. Jesus warned them sternly, see that no one knows about this. That passage is loaded because I'm thinking, number one, these dudes right here are personifying what it means to walk by faith and not by sight. <laughs> they believe and they can't see. You know what our problem is? If we don't see, we won't believe. Look, look, and the second thing I'm seeing is um, the Bible says Jesus was followed by two blind men. How do blind men follow? These dudes are probably stumbling, stumbling, knocking over stuff. But like I said before, out of all of your senses, the most, the most important and needed sense for you and I to have is not your sight because we walk by faith and not by sight. It's not your touch because we don't go off how we feel. And surely it's not your taste or what you could smell. It's by your hearing. Maybe that's why Jesus kept saying, um, let those who have ears, let them hear. My sheep know my voice, and they follow me. When I was growing up, we used to play this game in the pool. It was called Marco Polo. 
don't know if y'all ever remember this. You'll be in the pool, your eyes will be closed, and you'll be like, Marco! And they will say, Polo! And you will try to swim where they're at. Marco! Polo! And every time you heard them say polo, you kept getting closer. You know why a lot of us aren't getting close to God? Because we're not saying, Marco! Because if we do, God's going to say, Polo! I'm over here! I'm waiting for you to pray! I'm waiting for you to fast! And like some people, they will try to run and hide. God won't do that. Polo, I'm right here. Polo, I want you to seek my face. Polo, I'm trying to get your attention. Polo, I want you to come to me because I'm a rewarder of those that diligently seek me. These brothers found Jesus based off what they heard. And then this is what tripped me out. Jesus heals them, and then he's like, okay, don't tell nobody. Y'all got to read the Bible. The Bible, look, I'm reading this. I'm like, okay, Jesus, um, people had to see that these dudes were stumbling. They had to see that they were blind. How are you going to tell two blind people, hey, uh, don't tell nobody that I gave you sight. Until I got the revelation, maybe God is saying what I'm about to do in your life. The miracle that I'm about to do in your life, the blessing that I'm about to do in your life is so big, you're not going to have to post about it. You're not going to have to talk about it. You're not going to have to brag about it. People are just going to see it walking. They're just going to be able to see since they have ran into Jesus, they got more confidence. Since they ran into Jesus, they have more faith because I don't need to broadcast the miracle. I am the miracle. Now, listen, you got to get this. Somebody say believe. Okay, belief is not optimism. Optimism is, it might happen. That's not belief. Belief is the confidence in the fulfillment of. Meaning I'm confident it's going to happen. And I want you to see something. The reason why a lot of us, your inner critic is so loud, is because out of these three objects, you keep overlooking your sword. Most of us, we're dealing with the phone and the mirror instead of the Bible. So, Depending on which one you look in the most is going to determine how loud your inner critic is. See, the reason a lot of us, our inner critic is so loud is because you see all your flaws. Man, I'm sweating. <laughs> I'm sweating hard. I mean, I must be preaching hard. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not perfect. I got this flaw. You're looking in the mirror, so you see all your flaws. You see all your imperfections. You see all your doubt. You see all your shortcomings. You see all your behind the scenes. And then for some of us, the reason that you have an inner critic is because you keep scrolling too much. Man, they look so happy. I can't believe he proposed to her. I can't, bro, she was on a stripper pole like three weeks ago. How in the world is she going to get a godly man? See, this is what I'm talking about. Mm -mm. Negative text. You ever had a text on your whole day off? <laughs> that good morning text or that lack of that good morning text. How in the world are you going to let a text throw your day off and God wrote you 66? 66, like God text you. Yo, did you read that one? He should be, you should be able to find some verse, some text message that throw your whole day back on. The reason your inner critic is so loud, comparison. Or could it be you're having conversations with people who are heightening your inner critic? You ever felt confident about something until you talk to somebody? Now, I don't think you should do that, bro. I mean, that's kind of cheesy, man. Like, I don't know, dog. I don't know if I'd do that, man. Nah, bro, that, that's not your gifting, dude. And so you get off the conversation. And instead of you going off this mirror, instead of you looking in this mirror 
and seeing that this mirror says that your gift will make room for you. So there's something on the inside of you that you could use that God is going to use to make room. Instead of you looking in this mirror and seeing that I am the head and not the tail, I am above and not beneath, I'm beautifully and wonderfully made. Maybe you're so insecure because you're looking in this mirror instead of this mirror. And if you were to look in this mirror, oh, y'all ain't trying to talk to me. If you were looking in the word of God, you would discover that maybe my inner critic is so loud is because my Bible is so closed. And I, I have so many tabs open and I'm constantly doing selfies and checking to see how I look, but I'm not looking to see how God says I should live. And then you wonder like, I don't believe all that stuff they're preaching about. I don't believe all that. I haven't experienced any of that. The only way you can get the promises the Bible speaks about is you have to be the Christian the Bible speaks about. Which one do you have open more? More tabs or more scriptures? I just firmly believe Bible time is greater than FaceTime. Yeah. Instead of screen time, devotion time. And if I were to look right here, maybe it would silence all the noise and the static in here. Now it makes sense when it says, I have hid thy word in my heart that I may not sin against thee. How does a young man keep his way pure? How does a young man stay godly? By living according to the word. I have to keep this book in my heart. I have to keep this book buried in my heart. I meditate on it day and night because this right here is going to deal with my inner critic in here. <laughs> so listen, why do we have our inner critic? I believe it's the three things that I want us to consider. We have automatic thoughts, filtered thoughts, and core beliefs, okay? This is good. Automatic thoughts, filter thoughts, and core beliefs. Now, your automatic thoughts, they reveal your wounds. They reveal where your mind has been dwelling the most in doubt, in people's opinion, in people's acceptance. That's your automatic, your automatic thoughts. So when people say things to you, you automatically say this. You automatically respond like this. Now, your filter thoughts, that's the war zone. Your filter thoughts is the war zone between your, automated, your automatic thoughts and your core beliefs. Man, this ain't going to be good. Nah, I, I believe in it, though. Man, I don't know if I could do this. Nah, yes, you can. And so a lot of us never transition from filter thoughts to core beliefs. Core beliefs, that's where God wants you to live. When you have a core belief, this is when you have a I know that I know. This is when you have a all I know. I don't know how it's going to work. All I know is God's going to come through clutch. I don't know what's going to happen. All I know is God got me. I don't know how the outcome is going to turn in my favor, but all I know is God can't lie. When you have core beliefs, that's where God wants you to stay. And so you may be listening to this and you're like, okay, I, I want to be free. I want to I transition just from dealing with my automatic thoughts and my filtered thoughts. I want to have core beliefs. How do I get there? You have to understand the power of but. You have to understand the power of but, because but, that conjunction, junction, what's your function, it changes everything. When you have the power of but, it's like, I'm afraid, but I'm going to try anyway. Yeah, I am unsure, but I'm still going to upload it. I don't know what the outcome's going to be, but I trust God's going to make a way. No, it hasn't happened yet, but I believe it still can. Yes, that hurt me. Yes, that broke my heart, but I'm going to heal. It's, it's, it's the power of but. 
to be able to override the volume of your inner critic. Zacchaeus is the man. You got to understand this. He's a chief tax collector. So he has like made a profession in making money. And he's a short man. I'm thinking he's probably like 5'2", maybe a little shorter than that, 5'1". He's a short man, and he's heard so much about Jesus, but it wasn't about his money or his accolades. That don't get you in the presence. Oh, man. I can get in trouble right here because there's so many people who say, if you sell $500, if you get in this $3,000 line, if you, you can't get in position with God off money. He was rich. He was the boss of that town. He was a chief tax collector. But all of that stuff he had, all the car, well, he didn't have cars, all the chariots that he had, all the like early Bible year sandals that he had, all the clothes that he had, all the robes that he had, that didn't matter when it came to Jesus. His money didn't matter, and so he looks off in the distance, and I could just imagine this big dust cloud because everybody's following the king of glory. And his money couldn't get him a VIP, a VIP seat. So he began to run, and he runs in front of everybody. And he says, okay, there's a sycamore tree. I'm going to climb this tree. He climbs up in the tree, and Jesus, so powerful, is walking. And the Bible says, if you look at the text, the Bible says in verse 5, and when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him. And I was like, came to the place. Came to the place. Came, came to the place. It's almost as if Jesus intentionally knew there's a place there's a place that I'm supposed to be on today and before you say "Mm, I don't know that's taking a stretch Jerry if you keep reading in verse 5 he said "Uh, Zacchaeus make haste come down for today I must stay at your house so when I put this in context Jesus knew before Zacchaeus ever climbed that tree that there was a chief tax collector I have to meet. And then why everybody's tripping over the fact that Zacchaeus is a sinner and he's a chief tax collector. Jesus is so smart because he knows if I can hit this tax collector's heart, he can help them do their money right. So everybody else, oh, everybody else will benefit from him being saved. Jesus goes to the worst people, the most unlikely candidates, because he knows I could use them to do the most unlikely wonders. And what stands out to me about this is that when he comes to this place, he calls Zacchaeus by name. Could you just imagine? You don't even know nothing about him. You got all this money. You a boss. Like you fly. And you just want to see who Jesus is. And he looks up and calls you by name. Zacchaeus. But Zacchaeus is like, dude, I just didn't know my name. <laughs> how, do you, how do you know my name? I must stay at your house today. In that moment, you could have either been stunned or arrogant. Arrogant could have been like, that's right. I'm the chief tax collector. I'm rolling with G-O-D. Yeah, you know me. You could have been arrogant. Or you could have been like, how does this, how does this dude know my name? I, I've been so caught up to see you. I'm, I'm so excited to see you. I heard you preach this message, and, and, and I want to give my life to Jesus. But when you have religious spirit people, they don't look at the fact that you need Jesus. They just notice the fact that you're getting attention. You're getting the spotlight. So they can't rejoice that the chief tax collector has ran into the kingdom of glory, king of glory, because they're so caught up with what they don't have. Jesus says, listen, man, salvation has come to your house today. 
And if Zacchaeus would have allowed the comments of the sideline to blend with that inner critic, he would have pushed away his blessing. And I wonder how many of us, Jesus is saying, I'm coming to your house today. I'm going to bless you today. I have a platform for you. I have a position for you. I have a calling for you. But you're allowing what other people think about you to come in tune with the static frequency of your inner critic so that you keep pushing away the things that God is trying to give to you. I don't deserve that. I'm not good enough for that. I don't even know how to speak. I don't even have a degree in that. I don't even know how to do that. But God's saying it's not about that. It's about what I'm calling for you to do. So point number one, how do we get to a place where we deactivate our inner critic? Clap back. This is the only time you're going to hear a message where the preacher's like, yo, this is what I want y'all to do. Number one, clap back. You know how you clap back in the comment section? I need you to learn how to clap back on your inner critic like that. I need you to learn how to clap back to demons like that. I need you to learn how to clap back to devils like that. You got it in you because your clap back game's strong. You clap back all the time on your highway. You clap back all the time on your social media. You clap back all the time on what people are saying in your comment section. Why not clap back against your inner critic and the enemy? Jesus did it. Look at this. In, Mark, in Matthew chapter 4, Verse 3, now when the tempter came to him, he said, if you are the son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he clapped back. I'm sorry. He answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeded from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him into a holy city, sit him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up. Did you notice how Satan switched up the game? He was like, oh, you quoting scripture? I'm going to quote scripture too. This is why a lot of us, the word don't work for you because you're quoting it, but you don't believe it. And when you don't believe it, the enemy can use scripture to strip you up. Now look, Jesus claps back. Verse 7 says, Jesus said to him, it is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again, the devil took him on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and, again, and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, away from me. Away with you, Satan, for it is written. Somebody say, clap back. You shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. Now, verse 11, look at this. Then the devil left. <laughs> perfect your clapback game the devil left him and behold angels came and ministered to him see he was like if you bow down and worship me i'm gonna give you all these kingdoms but jesus was saying nah don't crown me until you cross me some of y'all missed it you can't crown me until you cross me. I don't care about these kingdoms right now. They gonna be mine. Every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess. All this is gonna be mine, but I have to be crossed first. And you're getting tired of hearing about waiting. You're getting tired of hearing about God's timing. But right here I see in the text, Jesus even had to endure timing. I'm not gonna bow. All that's gonna be mine. But I gotta, I gotta be crossed first. Somebody say clap back. Point number two. Grace space. Give yourself grace space. Why are you so hard on you? Why, why, like, why are you so hard on you? Man, I didn't do this. Man, I said I was going to do this. Give yourself grace space. You're going to get it. 
You're going to make mistakes. You're human. But you don't have to allow your inner critic to become your bully when you miss the mark. Because right here, look, point number three, you got to allow the Holy Spirit to be your inner cheerleader. God, this is so good. Listen, when you allow your inner critic to be your most dominant voice, you will label yourself as the chief tax collector. But when you allow the Holy Spirit to be your inner cheerleader, it will label you the son of Abraham. He was like, yo, he can't hang with this dude. He's a sinner. He's a chief tax collector. Jesus was like, nah, he's a son of Abraham. And I wonder which inner critic or the inner cheerleader do you listen to more? And if you want to ask yourself how, which one is your mirror? Your phone, your image, or the word of God? And maybe the reason the inner critic is so loud is because we're not seeking his face. We're not seeking his face. And I wonder how many of us, similar to Zacchaeus, we're excited about something, excited about that blog, excited about that website, excited about what God put in your belly, but you allowed the comments of the sideline to make you minimize the word that God put in your spirit. We're going to deactivate that. Satan is a liar and the father of lies. And this actually should give you confidence because whenever the devil speaks, he's lying. So if he says you can't do it, guess what? You can. The devil even knows you're going to win. But if you listen to him, he will turn up the volume of that inner critic. And just like me, on seven years ago, there's something that you should post that you could change the world with and you wouldn't be watching this broadcast right now. If I didn't in that moment turn off my inner critic and press upload. So, Father God, we thank you. We thank you for being God. We thank you for being sovereign. We thank you for being our inner cheerleader. Sometimes, God, we're just beating ourselves up. We're so hard on us because we're subscribed to what happened in childhood. And we've allowed our inner critic to be so loud, to be our therapist, that we won't listen to the Holy Spirit. Forgive us for letting other voices be more loud in our life than yours. And we want to live a life that deactivates that inner critic so that we can have a posture of faith. Because without faith, it's impossible to please you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Baby, you've been listening to the inner critic long enough. And you need to start listening to your inner cheerleader. And that's the Holy Spirit. I really pray that this message really blessed your life this evening. Let us know below how much it impacted your life. And listen, Sunday, make sure you tune in at 6 o'clock because it's going to be great. You know what? Let me just show you. Ooh-wee. Man, that's such a... The hardest part about marriage. Marriage? Listen, marriage can be brutal. Okay, the hardest part about marriage is... If you were to ask me, I think I would say the hardest part about being married is... What is this problem with the word submission? I think a lot of women have this issue with the word submit. I mean, you would think that it's a curse word. 
Like every time I say the word you would have to bleep it out. Like God wants us to say I have to say the husband's the wife. I remember the first year of marriage, uh, my wife, I kind of discovered in that moment that women are very, very detailed. And, you know, if I asked her how her day was, she would really tell me how her day was. And I'll be like, why is she talking? I'll be doing like this. And I was just like, yo, just, just land a plane. Um, I want to know what's for dinner. Don't ever do that. Don't ever do that. There's just some things that you learn about marriage. And rushing her or just trying to get her to get to the point, don't do that, bruh. You, you're just going to prolong the conversation. It's not going to be a good night. Are you sure? I need to know, are you sure? Are you sure? Are you sure? Are you sure that you want to be married? Yeah, not just married, but kingdom marriage. How about for part eight? Try kingdom marriage. If we're going to do it, it got to be kingdom. You got to be what? Kingdom.